Today on Blue 58, Joe Barry is still the Packers defensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur spent some time this week explaining why that's the case. How should we feel about it? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Just a reminder, our ongoing charity drive is, well... Still ongoing. You've got until 11.59 p.m. on December 31st to get into this year's drive. Full details are at thepowersweep.com. I am happy to say that so far we are, well, we're already past $1,100 as a, as a group. 21 donations so far from listeners all around the world. Thank you to those who have, of you who have contributed so far. I can't believe I've gotten this far into this thing without um, explaining what you stand to gain from, from donating here. When you donate, you are eligible for prizes. And I I do a drawing from the people who donate each and every year. Always wish it could be more, but this year there's 15 prizes up for grabs. Uh, From low to high, five packages of stickers from the Power Sweep. Got some cool stuff up in our shop on TeePublic if you want to check some of that out. Those will be coming your way if you get selected. One of five t-shirts from the Power Sweep. Two $25 gift certificates to the Packers Pro Shop, two $50 gift certificates to the Packers Pro Shop, and the grand prize one Packers jersey valued at up to $125. You can get a pretty nice jersey for that figure if that is something you are interested in. There are some logistical stuff with the, the jerseys that people won last year. Uh, but we work with the pro shop. They work with us. They're great about communication and they will get you a Jersey wherever you are in the world. So we'll do the same. If you are a, an international listener, if you just want to be a part of this, however you can, you are eligible for everything. And if you donate any dollar amount, you're in the drawing as well. We're just grateful for everybody who chooses to, to participate and we've done pretty well as a group so far. Really happy with, with what's coming in. I'm always happy with what people donate each and every year. But we are on track to surpass last year's donations, which was a strong effort again last year, too, across four different charities. This year, just the one. You're doing a great job so far, well above 1100 bucks. Great, great stuff. And you've still got, well, almost 12 days to enter here, 11 if we're counting from the day when this podcast goes out. So great stuff. If you're considering getting in, now is the time. Uh, just want to do something nice for one of the great guys in recent Packers history, Aaron Jones as he may be winding up his time here in Green Bay. All right, the big story this week, not the not the charity fundraiser, as sad as that is. We'd love for that to be the biggest and best story in all of Packers media this week, but we've got something else to talk about. And it's always kind of interesting and amusing where everybody that covers and talks about the Packers gets laser-focused on one specific thing. And that specific thing, of course, is Matt LaFleur finally defining for us in his press conference on Monday what he considers an explosive play. He did it kind of obliquely, but if you look at the play-by-play data of what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did on Sunday and cross-reference that with LaFleur's comments, you can see that he finally defined that he considers anything above 15 yards run or pass to be an explosive play. That was some of the data that came out of his presser on Monday, and I'm really glad to see everybody finally picking up on that. It's an important thing because that's been his focus really back to his time with the Tennessee Titans. He's always wanted to generate what he calls chunk plays or explosive plays, and now we have a firm working definition of what that is, and we can build some of our own analysis around that as well. I'm joking, obviously. That is, to me, a big deal for the the nerdier aspects of what we do at the Power Sweep and stuff. But the big story, of course, Joe Barry as of the end of Monday, when Matt LaFleur had his press conference, is still the Packers' defensive coordinator and figures to be 
through the end of the season. Just to kind of set the table for LaFleur's press conference on Monday, here's what he said again after the game Sunday evening on whether or not he would consider making a change at defensive coordinator. Matt, would you ever consider an in-season change at coordinator? Uh, yeah, I, now's not the time for that, to be honest with you. Why is that? Because now's not the time. I'm trying to find solutions, and um, i got to go back and take a look at the film. Well, by Monday afternoon, Matt LaFleur had taken a look at, a, at the film and had concluded that it wasn't really Joe Barry's fault. That's big takeaway number one. He's keeping Joe Barry, and takeaway number two, he's keeping him because communication was really the issue on Sunday, not necessarily anything that Joe Barry did. He was asked, why retain Joe Barry? Here's why. It wasn't really Joe Barry's fault. When you're having basic communication problems and you're supposed to be in a certain coverage or a certain rotation and we're not getting that communication, that, that's what's so disappointing to me is the fact that it was just it was poor communication. And it, it always starts with us. I mean, as it starts with myself and then it goes to all our assistant coaches. So obviously the coaching wasn't up to, up to the standard and then our performance on the field uh, definitely showed that as well. So naturally you might be wondering if communication is the issue, if it starts with the coaches and if the coaching wasn't up to par on Sunday, why keep the guy around that's in charge of all of those things? The answer, big takeaway number three from the presser, is that Matt LaFleur thinks this game was basically an outlier. Because I've seen us execute this stuff before. So, uh, you know, it just it's unfortunate that it happened at this time of the year in such a, a, an important game. Um, and I, but I've seen us execute it earlier in the year and, or in previous games. And um, now certainly are, are there some calls? I, I think I'd be the first one to admit there's a couple of play calls that I would like to have back in that game. Um, I know there's some that Joe would like to have back uh, in particular. Some of those, you know, third and three to four yard plays where we're playing soft zone and they can easily uh, get a, a free completion. Um, just like there were a couple calls I'd like to have back in the red zone, and that's football. Um, but hopefully we can learn from that and not make that same mistake twice. So bottom line here, what happened Sunday, at least by my understanding of what Matt LaFleur said, was this is not Joe Barry's fault. Whose fault was it? The players on the field, the coaching, generally speaking, and then himself and Matt LaFleur. Two big areas of blame then there are the coaches that aren't Lafleur and Barry, and then the players. To me, that would not play particularly well in the locker room. That would seem to be the guess that I would have. If you want to really go tinfoil hat and start lining up a few dots here, you've got Devondre Campbell out there today saying he doesn't really want to play through injuries anymore because when stuff goes wrong, he gets blamed for it. You've got Quay Walker saying he doesn't really want to talk about Joe Barry leading meetings on Monday and all of that. You've got Jair Alexander with a long and lingering injury that Matt LaFleur says they seem to have underestimated. But given the discord that we heard between some of the veteran defensive backs on the team last year and Joe Barry, 
with Jerry Gray kind of working as an interlocutor there, just going between the two sides, you start to wonder if there's something popping up there again. I I don't hold that view. I would understand if you did. I'm just saying that maybe there is some evidence along those lines. And at the very least, I think Lafleur has to be careful of how this approach could play in the locker room because you're saying essentially he's siding with his man Joe Barry over the players. And there's a very real chance that Joe Barry is not here next year. On top of that, there are some players who are not going to be here next year, and the defensive performance is going to affect their future earnings. Now, they do have that within their control. When they, when you're on the field and you got to execute, that's a part of the game that you can control. But if your defense does not put you in a position where you can execute particularly well, you can make a case that your defensive coordinator is costing you money, and that is part of the way that you lose a locker room. So how do we read all this? I think there are two possible readings. They've been put forth forth by others in the, the Packers media sphere, but I think this is basically what it boils down to. On the one hand, you can say, based on Lafleur's demeanor, the way that he answered the questions, the way that he talked about Barry after the game, you could say that Barry is cooked and there's really nothing that can happen that's going to save him or his job in Green Bay. The second possible reading is that Joe Barry does have a chance to save his job. I lean toward the interpretation that Barry is cooked and the Packers just don't see any reason to change things around right now. I don't think that's a particularly compelling argument. The The unsaid thing from Lafleur here is that he doesn't seem to think there's anyone else on staff who can coordinate the defense, which I think is just baloney. Everybody on the defense has been in this system for three years, or most of them at least. You've got Greg Williams there in the secondary who hasn't been here but for this year. But everybody else has been around at least two years, most of them three years. Many of them are holdovers from the Mike Penton era. These guys know these players. They know the schemes. They know the difference between this scheme and other scheme. They should be able to explain what the players are supposed to do unless you really you know, truly take to heart what Matt LaFleur is saying, that they're just not getting it done on the field, and part of that is because of the coaches. But there should be somebody else who can say, okay, here's our playbook. What do we run in third and six? It's not that difficult. It's not rocket science. People try to make football more complicated than it is, and it is complicated, but it's not like this is some unique thing that nobody else can duplicate. And certainly, you can duplicate the effort that Joe Barry puts out there on a, on a weekly basis. That's something that a professional football coach who's been with the staff for a couple of years, should be able to do. You should be able to have a simple enough play sheet to just get things done for three weeks here on the end of the season as you're trying to salvage something, anything meaningful out of this season other than just the year-long evaluation process. Now, the chance that Barry has to save his job, I think, is a real, or the the interpretation that he has a chance to save his job is a real thing, very real thing. And I, I am afraid of that. Because I think, just knowing what I know about human nature, change is difficult. And we will look for reasons to not change things, to stay with what's comfortable, if we can. And I think, if nothing else, Matt LaFleur seems pretty comfortable with Joe Barry. And there's maybe not a big reason for him. He may look for reasons to not change, just because that's what people do. We want to justify decisions we've made in the past. We want to not feel like we're making mistakes 
with decisions that we make. And we want to stay where we're comfortable. You know, the laws of motion apply to human emotions too. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. You get comfortable when you're at rest. And if you've got a staff in place that you've taken pains to put together, I do, from one aspect, understand why you don't want to disrupt that because there is always the possibility that it does get worse. There's the hope that it does get better. And if you're just sticking with the same guy who's shown you this for three years now, all you have there is hope. You're not really trying anything to get better. But there is the the familiarity. And while the, the saying goes that familiarity breeds contempt, sometimes familiarity breeds comfort too. You're just comfortable, even if you're in a bad situation sometimes, with what you know versus what you don't know. Think about times, I'm sure there's been times in your own life, because I would bet there are, because I know they've popped up times in mine, where I've stayed in you know bad jobs, maybe a, an apartment or something that you could be better, but you just don't want to go through the trouble of working to find something new, or like I said, a bad job. Maybe a, 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 you're dating somebody and things are just not working out, but you'd rather be in a relationship than out of a relationship. I don't know, but we've all been in situations like that where yeah, it's not great, but the change is scary and the change might lead to something worse, even if there is also a chance that it could lead to something better. So I get why Lafleur is like that. I just think it's a bad way to run a football team. And I think just about everybody would agree with that. But we all know over the years that we have seen people make decisions in football for all kinds of bad reasons. Players get drafted for bad reasons. Free agents get signed for bad reasons. Coaches get hired for bad reasons. People will talk themselves into things and talk themselves out of things. You'll talk yourself into things that you shouldn't do and talk yourself out of things that you should do just because of any number of reasons. So as long as there is a chance that Joe Barry could save his job, that will scare me. Now, I've got some questions from listeners about this whole situation and and kind of how we got here. And I want to talk through each of them kind of for the balance of our time here. I know I, I teased on our last episode something I wanted to talk about as far as new defensive stats and stuff like that that we can track at thepowersweep.com. I think we'll save that for next episode because we've got some really good and interesting questions here about kind of the Joe Barry situation. First, uh, from Discord user A. Habel. I uh, hope we're saying your name right there. With usernames and handles, it gets a little tricky sometimes. I believe this user's first name is Alan anyway, so let's just go with that. Alan asks, from your perspective, what is the cause of the swing in play from the sequence of wins in November and December to the last two games? If we restrict this to the defensive side of the ball, into my answer now, I think there is a short-term thing and a long-term thing. The short-term issue, it's, it's a variety of things, but it really boils down to one big thing as far as Joe Barry's version of this defense goes. Plays on the ball in the secondary. We take pains to track what we call ball hawks. It's a stat invented by Bob McGinn of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, basically just tracking all plays on the ball. So passes, defense, interceptions, forced fumbles, and sacks. That has always made sense to me to track because what is football all about? To loosely quote Vince Lombardi, gentlemen, this is a football. It's about the football. We're trying to get it or keep it. Making plays on the ball is almost always going to be a good thing. And Joe Barry's defense this year in particular has relied, I think, disproportionately on a lot of big plays, or maybe maybe not a lot of big plays, but big plays on the ball and then also a lot of little plays on the ball to stay relevant this year. So forced fumbles, passes defensed, timely interceptions, though they haven't had a ton of them, and then also sacks. 
The last two weeks, the Packers' defensive backs have managed a grand total of three ball hawks, three plays on the ball, and all of them came in this most recent game against the Buccaneers. Against the Giants, the entire team got blanked. No sacks, no passes defense, no interceptions, no forced fumble. Not a single one. They had three as a team, well, three as in the defensive backfield on on Sunday. They had a bunch more if you count what the defensive line and linebackers were able to do in the pass rush because you get one for every sack, you get another one for forced fumbles there. So as a unit, they did pretty well as a whole defense, but their their secondary was a problem. This is a symptom, I think, of the disease that is afflicting the, the Joe Barry defense. They're playing so passive on the back end that if you're not making even those few plays on the ball, you're just going to get just going to get torched. And I think that's what we saw on Sunday. There were no real difficult windows for Baker Mayfield to throw into. It looked like he was playing Madden on pro difficulty. He just sits back there and says, okay, on this play, I'm going to throw it to Chris. And on this play, I'm going to throw it to Rashad. And on this play, I'm going to throw it to Mike. And you just dink and dunk your way down the field like that. It's one of those late season games in Madden when you're on franchise mode where you don't want to simulate to the playoffs, but you just want to make sure that you get through the game and blah, blah, blah. You're going to run really vanilla stuff and just score points and get the game over with. Try to keep the clock running so you can go on to the next game without all your stats getting screwed up because you're you're simulating a game. That seems to be the problem here. The Packers are largely passive in the secondary. Why are they passive in the secondary, though, or passive overall on defense? That is the more long-term issue, and that long-term issue is the Packers have a lot of resources that they've spent on that are not playing at the level that you need them to. So just look in the secondary. Eric Stokes, a first-round pick in 2021, has barely been on the field the last year and a half. We made a note of it on Sunday. He's playing his first snaps or played his first snaps on defense uh, since week nine of 2022 this past Sunday, and he, he looked it. He was not quite in football shape. That's not a knock against him. That's a real thing. You've got to get into football shape. Just being able to run and jump and cut and stuff on a practice field is very different than playing in an actual NFL game for 60 minutes. He needs some time to do that. But as of right now, he's not playing like a former first-round pick. Rasul Douglas, who they gave a a contract extension to after the 2021 season, is no longer in Green Bay. So you're getting nothing for that return or no return on that investment. Darnell Savage, in his expensive fifth-year option here, is not playing like a guy who is paid the way that he is. Jair Alexander, one of, if not the, the highest-paid cornerbacks in the league, depending on how you count, is not on the field right now. Devondre Campbell, who got also got a rich contract extension after 2021, is not playing up to that extension. Quay Walker had a bad game on Sunday. At least I'm told that by people who have watched the film and really dived into that aspect of it. I have not looked at his game that closely from this past Sunday. But even if he had a, a subpar game on Sunday, just as we, for this game alone, not as a reflection of his overall season, at least for this game, he was not playing like a former first-round pick. Up front, you've got Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary, who have played well this season. They're playing, largely speaking, this season up to the investment the Packers have paid them. Preston Smith is borderline there, too. But Lucas Van Ness is, while improving, not quite there as a first-round pick either. So I think just throwing a bunch of stuff out there, the Packers just are not getting investment or getting their, their money's worth monies or draft picks worth out of these th- these investments they've made. That is a long-term issue. Why is that? 
two possible reasons. One is the coaching aspect. I think Matt LaFleur is pretty clear about that in his press conference, that there are some coaching issues here. The Packers coaches are not getting the most out of their players. They're not getting them lined up. They're not communicating this, that, and the other thing. They are not getting the most out of their players, and they're not performing at the level that they should be. The other one is a bigger and longer-term conversation about Brian Gutekunst and personnel decisions he's made. There is some credit here to Gutekunst. Uh, Rashawn Gary is playing every bit like the thought the guy they thought they could be or he could be uh, as he came in as a rookie. But he's he's earned every bit of his big contract extension. That's that's a good decision. But you start looking in the secondary, and there's some misses here too. Eric Stokes seems like a miss to this point in his career. Darnell Savage, some flashes early in his career, but we are several years removed from that now. Generally, just the construction of the secondary has not been particularly solid. The investment with Devondre Campbell, your hands were kind of tied there, but it hasn't worked out. And Quay Walker, at least on Sunday, really just did not look like the first-round pick that he is, though I think generally speaking this season he has been trending in the right direction. So those short-term issues, Packers' defense not making a ton of plays on the ball, especially in the secondary, the long-term issues, coaches not getting the most out of their investments, and maybe the Packers making some bad investments on defense, all of that eventually starts showing up pretty consistently in games like we saw on Sunday, and at times really throughout the Joe Barry tenure, just getting gutted defensively uh, with pretty you know, consistent regularity. There was the the stretch earlier, well, just last month where the Packers were, were playing solid. Now we've had a couple stinkers in a row, and I think a lot of it falls at the feet of Joe Barry. The other problem is that these players just generally right now aren't very good. I mean, you can talk about the long-term investments, but some of the short-term investments are are a problem too. The safeties are just bad in the secondary. Darnell Savage, Jonathan, uh, Rudy Ford, Jonathan Owens, Anthony Johnson, they're either not there yet or they're never going to be there. And the corners are worse and also hurt. Jair is hurt. Eric Stokes isn't in football shape, as we said. Carrington Valentine is a rookie, and Corey Valentine basically is what he is as a player. Throw all of those things together, you get a defense like we saw on Sunday. Optimistic question here from Eye of the Beer Holder. Great username in our Discord server. Great question here too. He writes, I know we're all mad about the defense. I'm mad too. But looking at the big picture, I wonder how much of this current situation could be trending toward a best case scenario for Green Bay. Jordan Love is looking more and more like the guy Young offensive weapons are looking legit to a man and under cheap contracts for years to come. LaFleur looking like he can run an offense without the Aaron Rodgers cheat code. Chances of a new defensive coordinator looking stronger. And reasonably high draft picks from both ourselves and the Jets looking likely. I think that is a fair reading of things and a really optimistic spin of where they are right now. Say the Packers lose out. They're going to have a much higher draft pick than they would have had they made the playoffs and in all likelihood, just gotten their teeth kicked in in the wild card round. Making the playoffs really is just kind of like a a participation ribbon for this season. I don't think anybody really expects them to go anywhere in the playoffs. They'll be playing whoever the the two seed is if they do end up making the playoffs. And chances are they're going to get beat up pretty badly. And there's a good chance it's going to be either the Eagles or the Cowboys. Do you really want Mike McCarthy coming to Lambeau Field and putting a hurt on the Packers in the playoffs? Probably not. But that seems like it would be the pretty likely outcome if the Packers did make the playoffs and Dallas happened to be the two seed. 
to the larger point here, though, there is a, a, a chance that, you know, short of making the playoffs, this does work out pretty well. The absolute best case scenario for the Packers came off the table when Aaron Rodgers got got hurt in week one. Obviously, if he had participated for 65% of the snaps and the Jets had had a rough season, the Packers are probably looking at a mid-first-round pick or at like early 20s first-round pick. But that that came and went. We we are long off of that. So the absolute best case scenario is gone. As our question asker here points out though, the next best case scenario is really that the Packers, you know, look promising but end up having a fairly high first round pick of their own and then get a high two from the Jets for just jetsing it up as the season has gone on for them. And that basically is is what happened. So there's a chance that we could back into something better here than just outright making the playoffs. Because if that window closes, I think there still is reason to be optimistic. And really, to be honest, like setting expectations-wise, if you just get yourself back into the mindset of where we were prior to the Packers going on their, their run of November, I think we'd all be you know, a lot more accepting of where things are right now had things not turned around there for a while and then just fallen apart against the Giants and the Buccaneers. One of my favorite long-running sports takes is that the ideal way to bottom out is not really to tank. I think losing intentionally and making a roster work to do that, for one thing, probably doesn't work. And for another thing, it sends some other bad messages about your team. So the idea is not to tank, but to have the tank find you. That is to end up in a quote-unquote bad season for reasons that are out of your control. Now, the things that are going badly for the Packers technically aren't out of their control. If Joe Barry is your defensive coordinator and you're losing because your defense is bad, you made a lot of decisions that lead up to that point. But if the Packers can't make noise and, and really go somewhere in the playoffs, the, the best scenario for them is to to play hard and play well and still just lose because that may spur some other changes. And you know, if you want to look at it really optimistically, every loss from here on out just makes it more likely that Joe Barry is going to get the axe. So maybe what we really need to do is just take some collective medicine next week in Carolina and get beat by the Carolina Panthers, and then maybe that really seals things for Joe Barry. I would never root for the Packers to lose, and I would never encourage you to do that either. But as I, the beer holder, points out here, maybe there is a chance that it just helps us overall anyway, and we just got to take our medicine here in a weird roller coaster type season. There, whether it ends with Joe Barry getting fired or not. I think there is a medicine-taking aspect of this season anyway, just from where the cap is, the youth of the players, this, that, and the other thing. You understand, we've all watched it. Shoot, I mean, it's going to be bitter one way or another at some point this season if it just ends with a couple frustrating losses here and missing the playoffs that really came with the instructions on the tin, put it that way. This is... This is kind of the season we were half expecting to get. Finally, a three-parter from old Packers fan in Discord. What, if anything, would the Packers need to do on defense to save Joe Barry's job? Dangerous question there. What outcome would result in Joe Barry being fired during the remainder of the 2023 season? And who are the favorites to replace Barry in 2024 if his contract is not renewed? assuming he is in year three of the a three-year contract. Given Matt LaFleur's connections and typical Packers hires, who would be the best fit for the Packers defensive coordinator? I don't know about the best fit, but we can pull on that thread a little bit uh, at the end here. But 
first and foremost, what could the Packers do to save Joe Barry in this situation? I think what they would have to do is win out playing strong defense all the way and then win a playoff game at the absolute minimum before it's even a conversation. Rewinding to 2020, and I think these sorts of comparisons are good because we've talked about Joe Barry not getting fired in season when that happened to Mike McCarthy in 2018, about the same time of year, within a couple of weeks or so. But if we rewind to 2018 for perspective on Joe Barry, let's rewind to after the 2020 season for more perspective on Joe Barry versus Mike Pettin. Now, Pettin... I don't think his defenses were as consistently bad in as many consistent ways as Joe Barry's were. I think it was more a a feeling that the the game had the game had passed his scheme by and the things that he wanted to do were just were just not working and then you have a couple bad misses in the NFC Championship game. But Mike Pettin, if if you want to use the same rubric that we talk about have talked about it from time to time with Joe Barry, Pettin could say, "Look, our defense, you know, I, I know we got an MVP quarterback here in 2020, but our defense was good enough to get us to 13 and three. I was a part of that, mind you. Uh, there was a we did some good things on defense this year. We had some Pro Bowl caliber performances from some guys that were pretty unheralded when they arrived in Green Bay. So you're welcome for that. Oh, and oh by the way, we we developed our 2019 first round pick into a pretty consistent, pretty good rotational third rusher behind these two big stud free agents that you signed. And we've got Adrian Amos playing at the highest level at his career. And Darnell Savage is playing some pretty good football too. Plus, I've gotten us all the way to the NFC Championship game with a convincing playoff win over a, a good team uh, in, in the divisional round in 2020. I've got a case for keeping my roster, yeah, or my spot, yeah, there were some bungles there in the NFC Championship game. But you know who also came up short? You did, Matthew. Uh, you failed to score there at the end. You failed to score a couple trips into the red zone touchdown. So if we're we're throwing blame around, like there's plenty to go around you and me, I think I've got an argument for keeping my job. That's why, like if if Pettin can get, you know, not invited to come back after that because his contract expired, I think Joe Barry would at least have to win a game in the playoffs this year to even have a conversation there. Like things have gone badly down the stretch for Joe Barry, but if they turn things around, I still think he at least needs to win a playoff game before we're even having the conversation about him coming back for 2024. What would happen or what would happen if he did get fired? What would be the result there? You'd basically just need an interim guy. I am, I'm really not swayed by the kind of tacit assertion by Matt LaFleur that there's nobody who could take Joe Barry's job or, or do an interim job right now. Uh, if, you know, if they did make a move, Jerry Montgomery's been around for who knows how long. I mean, since the, the mid McCarthy era, late McCarthy era, he's been in Green Bay, like a decade in Green Bay now. He knows enough about an NFL defense that he could do the job. Kirk Olivadotti could probably do it too. You've got guys there who could do it, but they would need an interim guy. You wouldn't hire a guy from outside to come in and, and take over for the last three weeks here. As as much as fans try to try to talk about that, you know, you got to hire so and so from I don't know where to come in and start doing things now because then you could really be ready for 2024. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, you would you would go with an interim guy and then make a hire as soon as the season is over. You could start your interview process now if you wanted to do that, and there were guys who could interview. But they're not bringing anybody in from the outside if Barry would get fired, and he's not going to get fired before the end of the season, I don't think, unless, unless 
you have something really embarrassing happen. Now, I think losing to the Panthers would qualify as embarrassing enough, but they would have to lose in a particular way. And I think they would really just have to get stomped, like just be unable to stop the Panthers at all before you talk about Barry getting canned. But, I mean, say they get to week 18 and they just are in a win-and-you're-in situation, I think a, an embarrassing loss in that situation might do it as well. I just I don't think he's coming back for 2024, and I just think they're going to play out the string here to the end of the season. But you could get him fired in season if a couple things really go sideways. As far as favorites to take over, the, this list is not original to me. Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Company has been doing uh, the Lord's work researching stuff like this and has brought up a couple of interesting ideas about why the Packers might not be that attractive of a job. So check out both the post-game podcast from Sunday at the Acme Packing Company feed and his conversation with Andy Herman later in the week uh, for some more insight on that. But the, the, the short of that, and he goes much deeper than that, Andy has some thoughts on this too, but the Packers are in a situation heading into 2024 where if they go under 500 again, Matt LaFleur is probably getting fired regardless of the excuses that they have about roster construction or developing Jordan Love or stuff like that. Just because going sub 500 three years straight is just, it really is not defensible. You cannot consider yourself a serious coach in the NFL and allow that to happen. Teams scrape together good performances with worse rosters than what the Packers have had both in, in 2022 and now in 2023. If they do it again in 2024, Lafleur is not going, should not survive that. And I'm not sure that would be, well, I'm, I'm certain that's something that's not lost on defensive coordinator candidates that could be coming in. They see the job security situation and they, they don't want to be just signing up for a, a one-year deal if things really go sideways. So who are the, the potential candidates? Jim Leonard's name is going to come up. I don't think that's, that's really a, a unique insight there. We we all are know about the Packers' familiarity with with Jim Leonard. We know about Matt Lafleur's interest in him, his Wisconsin connections. It's an easy case to make. The same goes for Dave Aranda at at Baylor. Some Packers, well, some Wisconsin connections there. Uh, some things I think would have to happen with his job situation at Baylor, just because college football coaches make a lot of money, and he's not going to leave if he doesn't have to. If Baylor fires him. Well, he's getting a generous buyout there probably anyway, so he can come to the NFL and essentially you know, just get two paychecks because he's, well, he's getting buyout money from Baylor, so he's going to come up to, to Green Bay and, and coach a defense that fits with a lot of what the Packers want to do but maybe a little bit more adaptable and um, more a current version, I think, of the, the league-wide meta on defense than what Joe Barry is doing. And then I think you can't uh, – rule out Ajiro uh, Evero. If things would go silo, sideways for the Panthers here, they really shake things up on their coaching staff. If we're talking about Jim Leonard getting another uh, swing at the job, I don't think we could rule him out either. He has previous Packers connections, was here on Mike McCarthy's staff for a season as a like a low-level quality control type coach. Take another run at him. Really what I want to see, regardless of what they do, is just take a big swing on somebody. Maybe it's an unfamiliar name. I don't know. Chances are you're not going to to get the big splash guy anyway, unless it's somebody like a Jim Leonard or a Dave Aranda. So take somebody who makes a really compelling case schematically. Cast a wide net. Get somebody on someone's staff who's a climber, a young guy, somebody who is not a retread, really, I guess is what it boils down to. 
just looking at his track record, there was really no reason to assume that Joe Barry could coach a good defense. Maybe you hire another version of Joe Barry by trying somebody untested or who hasn't had the defensive coordinator job before. But at least you don't have the specter of never having coached a good defense coming with him. Just try something new. Take a big swing. Chances are the Packers are going to be looking at a losing record for the second consecutive year here. This is not the time to go conservative. This is not the time to get somebody you hope is going to be good enough that you can get to nine wins in 2024. If you're serious about building for 2025 and beyond, you got to take a big swing because if you really crush your defensive coordinator hire, then you're cooking with gas in 2025. If you hire a retread who's just going to be good enough for 2024, guess what? He's going to be only good enough in 2025 too. You got to swing for the fences. This is the time. Take a chance on somebody. Go big because we're all going to be going home if the if the hire doesn't work out anyway. That's the reality, I think, of these Packers, the, the Packers coaching staff. You might as well try something crazy, try something big that hasn't been done before. Because if, if it doesn't work out, the result isn't going to be any different than, you, than if you just went for the defensive coordinator whose ceiling is good enough to get you to maybe 10 wins if things all go right on offense in 2024. And there's no guarantee of that either, by the way. Like I think there's a lot of baked-in assumptions that things are going to be better on offense in 2024 than they are in 2023. That may be the case. It's not guaranteed. Im- improvement is not guaranteed for anybody, and that includes the Green Bay Packers. As, as exciting as the strides they've made have been on offense this year, things can always go go a step backwards. I think there's reason to believe they won't. But they always could. So make a big splash. Do something big and unexpected and different at defensive coordinator if you got to. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it that's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.